frustrated, and uh, he said, uh, may I help you? I said, yes, you may. Well, he said, what can I do for you? I said, well, I'm, I can't believe it. I'm going to a major city, and it's not even listed here. I don't understand that. And he said, well, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Miami. He said, this is Miami. <laughs> I said, yes, it is. I'm going to Bogota, Colombia. Thank you very much. And I see it right there. (laughs) And uh, he stood there a moment, and then he had the courage and audacity to look up at me and say, are we having a senior moment? (laughs) So you go from young and learning to old enough to know better to so old you don't know anything. And I'm not sure where, I know I'm beyond uh, young and learning, but I don't know where I am in that other spectrum. So, it is good to be with you, Pastor David. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Wonderful story, Isaiah chapter 6. Stand with me, if you would, while I read. In the year that King... As I had died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And then from over there, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then from over there, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. I've always wondered why he would fly with the live coal in his hands, which he had to take with tongs from the altar. But I'm sure that's a deep theological issue that will never be resolved. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go. And he went. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Someone has said quite poignantly that life is not measured by the breaths that we take, by by the moments that take our breath away. And there are those moments. There are those uh, 
significant moments in our lives that lives that somehow take our breath away. It can be something very, um, very wonderful, something so magnificent that we cannot believe our good fortune and our blessing. It can be something so tragic and disappointing that we cannot believe our misfortune. It can be financial reversal. It could be a windfall. It could be a birth. It might be a death. It might be the discovery of some new understanding that changes the way we think about life and about ourselves. Moments. And we measure our lives not by the turning of the pages of a calendar or the ticking of the clock. We, we tell the stories of our lives by those moments. You remember the year when it snowed on Christmas? Or, or you remember... You remember when we went to the beach, or you remember when we found this, or we discovered that, or you remember when when Brad was born, or do you remember when Patrick died, or when Jill was born, or when the first grandbaby, do you remember those moments that just kind of leave you breathless? And when you think of your life, you think of your life in terms of these significant Moments. We all have them. You're all thinking of some of them right now. Moments that have shaped you and defined you and continue to shape and define your life. Good moments, not so good moments. A friend of mine said I'd never journaled, but he said I started one day. I said, really, what what precipitated journaling? He said, well, I bought a journal and my first entry was this. Tomorrow... My first son will be born. A moment that takes your breath away. (sighs) Significant moments. This was one of those moments in the life of a man who lived at another time in another place. A moment that took his breath away. A moment that changed his life. A moment that ultimately shaped and defined Not only what he thought about himself, but what he thought about God and what he thought about his purpose in life. This was a life-defining moment. All of us need those moments. We're going to have enough of them in life that we can get a bit confused about who we are and who is on our side and on whose side we might be. It's important that we have some moments with God that shape And define who we are. We must not allow our station in life or our circumstances or the events of our lives to define who we are. Because the events and circumstances change. So we will never really know who we are until we have a moment, an encounter, um, a significant meeting with God that changes, shapes, transforms and defines. Isaiah had a moment like that. It, it came in a moment that took his breath away. The king had died. I was alive when John Fitzgerald Kennedy was shot. I remember that November day in 1963 when the news came across the loudspeaker system. You can tell how old I am that I call it a loudspeaker system. In our high school that said uh, the President of the United States has been shot in Dallas, Texas, and we don't yet know 
what that might mean. It was a, a moment of reckoning. It took the breath of our country away. And we all paused. Everybody remembers where they were that day, if they were alive. And then later, just a short time later, we got the word that our president not only had been shot, but indeed had died. And it was a moment of reckoning for America. It was something that had not happened in so long, and it was hard for us to believe that something like that would really happen in, in the country where we lived and in this place where we make our home. And there have been other events like that. I remember sitting in the home of uh, May Purser in, on Lofton Drive in Midwest City, Oklahoma in 1969 when we heard the words, the eagle has landed. And we sat spellbound as Neil Armstrong opened the hatch on that lunar module and took that first step and said, one small step for a man, one giant step for mankind. I'll never forget that. You'll never forget that. A defining moment, a breathtaking moment. The king had died. Uzziah had died. It was more than the death of a king for Isaiah and Uzziah were cousins, we're told. They probably grew up together the way your children grew up with their cousins or you grew up with your cousins. They played together. They spent time together. They were relatively close to one another. This was not a big world in which they lived. If you've been to Israel, you know that everything is quite immediate and close. Even in those days, it would have been relatively close. The king had died. Isaiah, being a man of faith, did what people of faith always do in a moment, a defining moment. He sought out the presence of God. He went to church, went to the temple to pray, to think, to reflect, to give thanks. I'm not exactly sure why he went, though there have been times when I have, in some of those moments, gone into the house of the Lord to seek refuge and to seek answers and to try and find some peace of mind and heart in wrestling through some of these breathtaking moments. He went into the temple and then a very odd thing happened in church that day. He actually bumped into God. This was no ordinary day. This was his day. And nothing had quite so astounded him as this meeting with God. I want to say to you today that if in our churches people could encounter the presence of God, it would change everything. It would change everything. We need the movement of God in our churches. Now, we need a lot of other things, but first and foremost, above everything else, we need a movement of God in our worship services. We need for people to be shaken. We need for people to be unsettled. We ourselves need to be shaken. We ourselves need to be a little bit off balance because somehow we have, without anticipation, just come face to face with the living God. You talk about taking your breath away. And Isaiah said, I not only bumped into God, but I saw him. I saw him on the throne. And I heard the angels, the seraphs, 
the great host around him. I heard them worshiping. And the one thing they were saying about God is not that God was good, though he is. Not that God is love, though he is. Not that God is merciful, though he is. The song of heaven is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it is the glory of a holy God that fills all the earth. And unless we have a proper definition and understand of God, understanding of God, then everything else in our vocabulary and in our thinking is off balance and, and off the mark. We must have a proper appreciation for the character of God. Isaiah learned some things about God that day. Theologians would talk about the transcendence of God and the imminence of God. And Isaiah was confronted with both. He learned, first of all, that God is so far beyond him, so far away from him, so far removed from him, that he saw no possible way for him to get in contact with God. God high and lifted up. God enthroned in the heavens. This holy God, this God of otherness, this God unlike us, this God who's somehow different from us, this God who is beyond our reach, who dwells in unapproachable light. This God, Isaiah, saw from a distance and he said, I'm ruined. Now, Isaiah was a good man. He was a prophet. And yet when he saw God in that way, he said, I'm Ruined all of my goodness, all of my righteousness, all of my good deeds, all of my good words. Everything that I've done is not worthy to be brought into the presence of God. And I have a feeling that if that were to happen in our churches, a lot of our smugness and our casual speak about God would be done. I don't think we'd likely speak of the man upstairs or the big brother in the sky or the big guy in the sky. I think we would be humbled and broken and on our knees saying, Oh, I'm not worthy to stand in the presence of this living God. I am ruined. I am doomed. I am lost. There is no hope for me. And that would be true for the best of us if we caught that kind of vision of God. But he learned something else. Theologians not only speak of the transcendence of God, they speak of the imminence of God. And that is the the nearness of God. And in that moment when Isaiah was thinking about how, how worthless he was and how poverty-stricken he was and how meaningless he was in the whole scheme of things, the, the seraph took a live coal from the altar and came down. Now, you must not miss the significance of that, for we see it again in the one who was made flesh and dwelt among us. He came down and he touched his lips and he said, your sin is forgiven. Your sin is atoned for. You cannot come here, so I will come here. And that's the story of our lives, isn't it? We could not get to him. There was no way we could get to him. And the story of all religions except the Christian faith is the story of men and women trying to get to God. You cannot get there from here. But thanks be to God, we don't have to get there from here because he is here among us. He has come down to us, not coming in condemnation, not coming for retribution, not coming punitively, but coming redemptively to offer us the forgiveness of sins 
and the deliverance from the power of sin and to employ us in his purposes and for his will. It is a magnificent truth that we preach when we preach the gospel that God comes down. Oh, my goodness, that he comes down. He comes down. I can't get there. I can't do it. I, I can't. I, it, no, you can't. So he comes. He comes, the holy God, the, the one who is other than we. He comes. And he touches us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives us life. And he gives us hope. And he gives us renewal. Isaiah learned something about God that day. Something good. He talked of it later in Isaiah chapter 40. When he says that we should prepare the way of the Lord. And bring down the high places. and bring up. It's like building a road. And leveling it out so you don't have all of this. You just level it out. It's, it's like the Roman road. So there's a way through. And over and over again the Bible says he'll make a way in the wilderness. So he'll prepare a way. That means he'll make a highway. He'll, he'll prepare a way through. And Isaiah says we've got to prepare the way. And he says, behold, this is your God. And he sees him. And he sees him like a shepherd. And he said, behold, see him coming. He's coming. He's holding the little lamb. He's carrying the lamb. And he's mindful of the nursing you, and he's leading his sheep forward, not pushing them, not herding them, not pressing them, but gently leading and conscious of those who are weaker and those who need special attention, but leading the flock alone. This is the God, the one who dwells in unapproachable light, who has chosen to come into our world and connect with us in a way that would not have been possible without his favor and his love. Oh, the God, the God who comes, this holy God, this God who is out of reach for us, but who is, as the New Testament says, nearer than the air we breathe. Nearer than the air we breathe. Just take a deep breath right now. And remember that God is nearer than the breath that you take by his choice and not because we deserve that but because in his mercy he has chosen to love us Isaiah learned not only about God he learned about himself and he learned how really unclean he was and how deeply dependent on God he was I grew up in the church I was born into a family where faith was important and I don't remember not going to church. I don't ever remember a time in my life when I didn't try to love God. I was converted at a very early age. Patty was converted when she was five. Uh, That's an early age. I'm sure that heaven was burdened with all the sin that she brought in that moment of conversion. That's true for all of us when we were converted as children. You look back on it and... And you wonder why God even messed with us then. There really wasn't much going on in our lives. How bad can it be to wet your britches every now and then? That's just about the worst thing kids can do. And, uh, but God welcomes the little children and takes us 
and molds us and shapes us and brings us along. It's, it's not the conversion story that many have of deliverance from some radical life of sin. Though the conversion is equally radical, we don't understand the nature of it. I remember in revival services with one of my college professors, uh, as I was pastor, he came to hold a meeting, Dr. Richard Howard, one of the most tender-hearted men I've ever known. We loved him in class because Dr. Howard would read Scripture all the time, and we'd say, Dr. Howard, would you read one more little passage there? And he'd read, and he'd get all broken up. And then we'd say, would you read more and more? And he'd read a little more. And he, and we didn't have class that day. It was a beautiful <laughs> beautiful thing, the blessing of God and the power of the Word. I'm sure there'll be a penalty to pay for using Scripture in that way somewhere down the road. I don't remember what he preached that night in the revival in Cincinnati, but I remember I remember sitting there thinking, well, you know, I, I really never did wonder in my lifestyle far away from God. But in my heart, I did everything in my imagination that anybody has ever done in their lives. My heart was as black and sinful as the heart of anybody who's ever walked the face of this earth. And yet God's chosen to love me. And I never really thanked him for that. And I went to the altar that night. People get nervous when their pastor goes to the altar. They just think he's been sleeping around or stealing money. and it's, You know, you've got to be something big. And, and I'm sure it was a disappointment to everybody. I don't know. I remember hearing Dr. Howard say to the congregation, I will take care of this. You are dismissed. And I'm sure he was expecting something. He knelt by me and We prayed a while, and then he kind of wanted to find out what was going on. And I told him, I said, Dr. Howard, tonight while you're preaching, I just came to a realization of what a a terrible sinner I was in my heart. Though I never thank God for the influence of the church and a godly mother whose love had such a strong influence in keeping me and holding me back. And a church that loved me. And, oh, church, don't give up loving young people. You don't know what you're saving them from. Even in times of rebellion, you don't know the influence of a loving, redemptive church or Sunday school teacher who's emptying themselves into the lives of young people. And I said, I just I just wanted to say thank you, Lord, for loving me anyway and changing me. Changing my heart. Maybe not my lifestyle, but changing my heart. I'm so fortunate that you've loved me in the way you've loved me. I never forgot that moment. It was one of those moments that took my breath away. Isaiah saw himself. We have to have a moment of full honesty before God. Recognition of how much we needed him. We're not good people, people. If there is any goodness in us at all, it's because he's touched us. It's his righteousness. It's his goodness. It's his faithfulness that gives us 
the privilege of coming here today in the name of Jesus. That's, that's our only standing is the life and death and resurrection and ascension and intercession of our Lord Jesus. I'm so glad I'm a Christian today. I know enough about me and the temptations that I have had over the years to know that were it not for God, my life would have been wasted and thrown away. But God took my breath away as a little boy. And I've never quite recovered from meeting God. You met people like that? I just never got over it. It's like when I saw Patty the first time, I never quite got over that. I'm still not over it. And uh, I've never quite gotten over God. Isaiah never recovered from this moment. Never, never got over it. And Isaiah learned something about his purpose. He was listening to God. We do so much talking to God, sometimes we forget to listen to God. And I serve a God who speaks, not, uh, not audibly, though, though once I did hear a voice when there was no one to speak a voice and was sent on a mission that proved to be a mission that I couldn't have imagined, and that's a whole other Story. So I believe in a speaking God. I believe he talks to us. Isaiah heard God in conversation. The Father, Spirit, and Son. And they're looking for a missionary. They're looking for a Sunday school teacher. They're looking for a youth worker. They're looking for a pastor. Who will go for us? And whom shall we send? And Isaiah hears this. And he's like a kid in the first grade. Do they still have blackboards in school? When I went to school, we had blackboards or green boards. And to get to clean the blackboard for the teacher, that was special. And we had a single teacher, young, sweet girl. We were all in love with her. And if you could get to stay late... And cleaned the blackboards. That was just about the best thing that could happen to you at, at, our, high, at our grade school. Yeah, high school. Probably high school too, but it was in our grade school. I want to be clear that it was grade school, not, not high school. And uh, let me do it. And here's Isaiah. Let me go, let me go, let me go, let me go. I'll go, please let me go. I want to go. Is that the way you respond to the needs of God? Please let me go. I've talked to some people, people primarily my age, and they talk about what they do in the church and they say, well, I'm not doing that anymore. I've served my time. It's like they were in prison or something and <laughs> paid their debt to society and they don't have to do this anymore. But not Isaiah. Oh, let me go. 
Let me go. Let me go. I met Roberta the other day. She was a school teacher. I believe it was 17 years ago. Roberta heard the call of God to go to Romania. That crazy, crazy Roberta, she went. And she hasn't come home yet. Let me go. Sean and Haley O'Connor from this very district. Dad pastors down at Redlands. God, who'll go to China for us? Who'll do that? Can we go? Let us go. Well, you got to raise your own money. Can we go? Can we go? We'll do that. We'll do that. Patty and I were in their apartment here a few weeks ago. And on that night, about 20 Chinese young professionals gathered and we sang and we prayed and then we broke into small groups and talked about a verse of scripture and three young girls gave their hearts to Christ that night in China. Let me go. Let me go, please. Let me go. How long has it been since you said to God, let me do it? I'll do it. Could I do that? Would it be okay if I did that? I'd like to do that. I saw a sign here the other day and it said, when was the last time you did something for the first time? Think about that. When was the last time? I found a pair of roller skates, roller blades up in Wisconsin, and I'm going to give them a whirl here coming up spring. I haven't done that yet. I've always wanted to do it. Patty's got the the medical personnel lined up and ready to come. (laughs) But when was the last time you did something for the first time? And the older we get, the less likely we are to do anything that we've never done before. And I want to always be ready to say, I'll go. I've never done it before, but I'll try it. I'll try it. Let me try it. Isaiah found his place in the world the day God took his breath away. Have you had a have you had an account encounter with God like that that just you've never forgotten, you've never gotten over it? You've just never gotten it out of your mind. You've never recovered. You know, after Jacob wrestled alone with God, he limped the rest of his life. I I wish that would happen to all of us. That when we got through settling with God, there was some visible mark on us or some visible sign that reminded us of that encounter with God that we just never recovered here. So it'll never be the same again. I've been marked by God. I've been claimed by God. I've been called by God. I've been given this opportunity by God and I've wrapped my arms around it with all of my heart, soul, mind and strength and energy and enthusiasm and I'm going to do the thing that God has given me the opportunity to do for Him. Because life is not measured by the breaths we take but by the moments. 
take our breath away. There's Roberta. I said, when are you going home? She said, I don't know. My family tells me I should come home. But she said, I don't believe God's done with me yet. Then I said, don't go. Tell the family to take a flying leap. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep doing what you're doing. Roberta may die there for all I know. I've been to Nuevo Horizonte, the New Horizons, down in Peru. Some 70 years ago, the Winans landed on the coast over in uh, close to Chiclayo, a little south of Chiclayo. And they started inland. And from, from the Chiclayo area to New Horizons, which was our mission compound way out in the jungle, it's a 10-hour drive by car over the Andes Mountains into the jungle around the sides of mountains. It's not a pleasant trip at all. And I thought about the, the Winans, Mary and husband, by ox cart, by foot, by river raft, by canoe. We have an elder, an ordained minister in Peru, and he remembers when they came. He said, I remember one time my dad held the people back while the Winans escaped. They were going to kill them. But he said, I remember my dad saying, no, you can't kill these people. This is a holy man. And they went on. They, they went down to the Marignon River, which is an angry river, all kinds of little whirlpools in it. And, and they went down the river as far as they could. Mrs. Winans was a rather healthy lady. And uh, some places they had to get them out of the river. The whirlpools were so great it would take most craft they had available down. They'd have to walk. She had to be carried. And they finally came to a little point. I went, went down there in a little aluminum boat, a little point where the Marignan River and the Kusu River come together. You're, you're coming down the Marignan River this way, and there's this little point. It's like a ship. And then the, the, the Kusu River comes in this way and then dumps in and goes on down. And they came to this little point of ground, a little bluff, and they stopped there, and they got out, and they climbed up the top of that hill, and they started the work of the Church of the Nazarene. They didn't know the language. They didn't know the people. They didn't know anything about anything. But somewhere back there, they heard God say, Who will go for us, and whom shall we send? And they said, We'll go. There are some of the wine and children buried in Peru. Mary Winans is buried there in Peru, and he just kept up the work. And now we have thousands upon thousands of the members of that tribe of Indians who called the Church of the Nazarene their home. Because somewhere back there, the Winans bumped into God, and he took their breath away. And they said, We'll go. We'll go. You find your place in the world, 
in an encounter with God. There are young people here today thinking of what you're going to do with your lives. I don't know, but it would be a good thing to try and find a way to bump into God and get some indication about what he might want. You never get over that. There are people here who are retired and you have a comfortable retirement. I really think retirement should be more than looking at the flowers. I think God positioned you where you are today for you to do something better and something greater, something more significant maybe, something different. You need an encounter with God. Brother Penn, 90, how old, how old are you? 96. He sings in the praise team over this church. He's got a little wiggle. Not, not much, but a little. He says he's going, to, he's going to keep serving God where he is. Because back there one day, I don't know where it was, but back there one day you bumped into God and you never got over it. And even today... You can't get over that. Have you, have you met God in that way? Have you met him that way? Stand with me, would you please? Father, we thank you for your word and how it slips into our lives and causes us to think thoughts that are scary and, and causes us to wonder about who we are and whether we can or can't or should or shouldn't. I thank you for this story. It's meant so much to me. I thank you for people like Brother Penn and other great missionaries. And Then I thank you for the ordinary people who, who have in their own way responded in their communities and in their local churches. Oh, I thank you for Roberta today over there in Romania. God bless her. And Sean and Haley in China today, God bless them. They bumped into you and they couldn't get away and they couldn't think differently. And so there they are, half a world away from family. Spirit of God. Spirit of God today, you may be calling some of us to a deep encounter with you, a life-changing moment here this afternoon. And we thank you for your presence. We're going to sing a chorus, a verse or something. and Maybe you've had that, that moment, but you've almost gotten over it. You'd like to reclaim it and its power in your life. And then maybe you've never had that kind of encounter with God. I believe He's come down today. I think He's here today. And I think He'd like to take some of us to a place from which we cannot return. I think he'd like to get us so far out on the limb that we can't get back. And once we do that, life's a journey and a pilgrimage and a joy. If you'd like to 
talk to God about this. We'll sing a verse or two or a chorus or something, and you're welcome to come, and then we'll turn the service back to Brother Dave today. If you say God, asking you to do something that's safe today. This is high risk. This is not an easy thing to do. I'm not telling you it's all going to be roses. This is not something to be trifled with. I'm just giving you an opportunity today to give your life away to something that will sweep you away in the purpose of God. To have that kind of moment with Him and you just never get over it. Just never get over it. It's like catching a bad disease, only it's a good one. You just never get over it. The fever comes back again and again and again. You just never get over it. And if you're holding back and struggling today, let me encourage you. You can trust God. In the Chronicles of Narnia, when Lucy first sees Aslan, who is the type of Christ, she's frightened and she's talking to Mr. Beaver, which tells you a little about the story. And, and Mr. Beaver, she asks Mr. Beaver, who is that? And he says, well, that's Aslan. Well, who is he? Well, he's the king. Well, is he safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. <laughs> it's good. It isn't safe, but it's good. We're going to sing it one more time. If you'd like to pray, invite you to come. Come right now.
Amen. Amen. I want somebody praying with everybody who's praying here today. A hand on the shoulder. Somebody would come right here and over here and over here. If you need to slip out, we understand we're a little over the three o'clock hour. If you stay, invite you to be seated while we pray today. And let's open our hearts, all of us, to the presence of God's Holy Spirit. Father, thank you today for your love and favor. Thank you today for moments that take our breath away. Thank you on this Saturday afternoon in the year of our Lord 2014 for the possibility of encountering you the way an old prophet did hundreds, thousands of years ago. We need to see you. We need to see ourselves. And we need to find our place. I pray for these who kneel here this afternoon. That the heavens will open. And while they may not see with their human eyes the heavens opened, and they may not see with their natural eyes Your glory may in their hearts the glory of heaven fall. And may they hear the seraph as they call back and forth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. May they be stricken today with their lack of worthiness. But may they be caught up in the power and strength of your spirit. So that they will say to you this afternoon, here am I, send me. Send me to that class. Send me to that new church. Send me to that lonely teenager. Send me to those children. Send me to the ends of the earth if you choose. I do not seek something that's safe and comfortable. I seek to serve you where it is best for the kingdom and offer myself as a living sacrifice. And I do it in the name of Jesus. I do it. In the name of Jesus, I do it on the basis of your love as expressed in Jesus. I do it for your kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Now, the fact that I've stopped praying doesn't mean you should. You should pray until God touches your heart and gives you assurance. The group will maybe sing and you continue to pray until the Lord gives you assurance that he's touched, transformed, empowered.